you have your copy of Scripture this morning, we are in Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, yes, again, we were in Acts 27 last week, and we are in Acts 27 again this week. Now, before you think I'm preaching the exact same sermon, last week was enduring the storms of life, this week, how to be encouraged in the storms of life. This week I want to read you a couple excerpts from Acts 27 rather than reading the whole chapter again. First, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3, then 21 through 26, then 33 through 36. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. First, verses 2 and 3 of Acts 27. In embarking in a ship of Adaramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now verses 21 through 26. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who shall Uh, all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Verses 33 through 36. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food for themselves. So today I want to talk to you about how to be encouraged in the storms of life. William Arthur Ward said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. Encourage me and I will not forget you. Recently I read a story which illustrates the power that words have to change a life. A power that lies in the hands of every person that I believe that's here this morning. Mary had grown up knowing that she was different from the other kids, and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and had to bear the jokes and the stares of cruel children who teased her nonstop about her misshapen lip, her crooked nose, and her garbled speech. With all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different, She was convinced that no one outside of her family could ever love her until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, and shiny brown hair. 
While everyone in her class liked her, Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. In the 1950s, it was common for teachers to give their children an annual hearing test. However, in Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she was barely able to hear out of one ear. Determined not to let the other children have another difference to point out, she would cheat on the test each year. The whisper test was given by having a child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then repeat something which the teacher whispered. Mary turned her bad ear towards her teacher and pretended to cover her good ear. She knew that teachers would often say things like, the sky is blue, or what color are your shoes? But not on that day. Surely God put seven words in Mrs. Leonard's mouth that changed Mary's life forever. When the whisper test came, Mary heard these words, I wish you were my little girl. Church, I want you to understand this morning, there's power in encouragement. In Acts 27, the picture is bleak. And often when people walk through the storms of this life, they lose hope, much like these sailors had done in Acts 27. But listen to the words of Paul. As he says in verse 22, I urge you to take heart, which is to say to be encouraged. Again in verse 25, take heart or be encouraged for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. In verse 33, Paul urged them or asked earnestly for them to take food. And the result in verse 36, they are all encouraged. I'm not advocating that we run around not speaking the truth in love. But I know this, there are times we have no clue what someone is going through in their lives. I also know that those, that those who do not know Christ desperately need encouragement because they have no hope. Because hope comes only through Christ. Christians also need encouragement. One of the greatest tools I have personally seen Satan use against Christians and especially against other pastors that I know is that tool of discouragement. I've seen pastors drop out of the ministry. I've seen those in ministry quit ministry. I've seen people walk away from churches because of discouragement. Families need encouragement for sure. One of my greatest weaknesses as a husband and a father is that I'm not encouraging enough. Dads, men, we need to set an example. We need to be encouragers. We have to set an atmosphere of encouragement in our homes. And as we look at Paul, we see that he receives encouragement from the Lord in the midst of the storm. And then we see that he encourages others in the storm. And so today I want to focus on those two things with you. I want, to, I want us to see how to be encouraged in the storms of life. Paul was not some sort of bubbly guy that just ran around with a huge smile on his face, never feeling down, kind of bouncing off the walls and like everything's just happy and great. In fact, when we read verse 20, it would seem like everyone, including Paul, had lost hope of being saved. Then in verse 24, the angel said to Paul, do not be afraid. 
if Paul was not afraid and if he was not discouraged and he would have no need for the angel to come to him and encourage him. However, after Paul received encouragement from the Lord, he did not keep it to himself. Instead, he encouraged others. Before you can ever give others godly encouragement, you must experience it for yourself. You must experience it for yourself. So first, first thing I want us to see is this, how to personally receive God's encouragement in the storms of life. How do we personally receive God's encouragement in the storms of life? You'll not be able to encourage others if you have not received encouragement. If you do not have encouragement, then how are you going to give it away? You can't give, it, give away what you do not possess. And so, we, so we, we have to ask ourselves, how is it that we receive God's encouragement when we're going through the storms of this life? Does God encourage Christians today? And if so, how does he do it? And I want to look at several ways that we personally receive God's encouragement from the storms of life. First of all, spend time with other Christians. Spend time with other Christians. If you want to have encouragement then spend time with other Christians. Paul's not alone on this boat, is he? He has other Christians with him. In particular, Aristarchus and Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts. Aristarchus was one of Paul's traveling companions who had been dragged into theater during the riot which took place in Ephesus back in Acts chapter 19. He stuck close with Paul. And Paul would later, when writing from Rome, refer to Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus was faithful. He was willing to do whatever was needed to be done, even go to prison with Paul. Indeed, he no doubt was a great encouragement to Paul to have a loyal friend and co-worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ was so encouraging for Paul. When the journey had started, we read about the ship putting into port at Sidon and the centurion allowed Paul to visit with his friends and receive care. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Paul could just go where he was at at the time and receive care this is what we are to do as a church we are to care for one another we are to help one another we are to encourage one another let me just say that it is kind of hard to encourage one another if you do not spend time with one another unfortunately we live in a society that is highly social when it comes to social media, we say, well, we have all this social media. We have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all this, and we call it social media. But as a society, we are socially lacking. We are not very social anymore. And if you rarely go to church and if you rarely spend time with other believers, it's hard to receive that encouragement. Not to mention if you rarely go to church, you're being disobedient to the scriptures in the first place because it clearly tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but rather encourage one another. You receive encouragement by spending time 
with other Christians. Now I know it doesn't always work out that way because not all Christians are the nicest people. But uh, the fact is, you are to spend time with other Christians and through spending time with other Christians, you receive encouragement just like Paul. You receive encouragement as well from the Lord by focusing on God's presence. Focus on God's presence. You're not alone. We have a tendency when we are in the storms of life to think that somehow we are all alone, but we're not. In this chapter, an angel appears to Paul to remind him that God was always with him. God is always aware of what we are going through. He always knows the storm of life that you are that you are walking through or that you are enduring. Think of the Great Commission where the Lord promised to the disciples, I am with you sometimes. That's not what he says, right? He says, I am with you always. And then he even goes farther. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. He's always with us. And we don't need to invoke his presence. He's already here this morning. And he's already where you're going to be tomorrow. There's not, uh, 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 the, it's not like he's up in heaven just waiting for us to invite him to be with us. He's already here. Paul knew what the presence of the Lord was like. Back there in, or in uh, Corinth, back in chapter 18 of Acts, Paul was fearful. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I am with you. Who he was in Jerusalem, the Lord stood at the, there he was in Jerusalem, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage and promised him he would be his witness to Rome in Acts 23, 11. Later, Paul will be in his final imprisonment right before his execution and he will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Verses 16 and 17, this is what he says to Timothy. And my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Every time Paul experienced these moments of the presence of the Lord, it was in the midst of crisis. He was in the midst of a storm of life. The presence of the Lord was with him. I don't know about you, but I know I've had times in my life of great need. I've had times where I need to know the presence of the Lord in my life. And in those moments, the Lord has encouraged me. I have not seen him or an angel, but I have his promises and it gives great encouragement to me you say well what promises do you have pastor i i have this promise that he said i am with you always even to the ends of the earth and where i go he is there where i will be he is there what whatever i am walking through he is there 20 years from now he is already there that's the whole point He's not bound by time and space. Even to the ends of the earth. He's there. I never have to be alone. And in the midst of life's storms, I can focus on his presence. Thirdly, 
third encouragement that we receive from God in the midst of life storms is this. Know whose you are. Know whose you are. I want you to stop and think for a moment that you are, value, that you are a value possession of God. Look what Paul says in verse 23. He says, an angel of the God I belong to. It's good to know who you are and whose you are. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are His special possession. You belong to Him. He has purchased you with something far more valuable than any worldly possession. He has bought you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you can rest assured He's going to take care of His purchase because it cost him greatly just stop and think about things uh, that that perhaps you have paid a lot of money for you typically take care of those things right you maybe check on them often you care for you you make sure that everything is working properly because you paid a lot of money it's super valuable if it's small perhaps you go and get a safe deposit box to put it in so it can't be stolen or it can't be taken away this is what we do with expensive purchases we take care of them or with anything that is of value possession to us we take care of it God has purchased us with the blood of his son don't you think he's going to take care of you You're his possession. He's not going to abandon you. He doesn't treat you as if you have no value. There's no throwaways with God. Know whose you are. And this should give you great encouragement because you're a child of the king. Know whose you are. Fourthly, No, God is your master, and we are his servants. No, God is your master, and we are his servants. Again, in verse 23, Paul said that he belongs to and worships God. The Greek word here, when it speaks of worship, is that of divine service. It's used of the Old Testament Um, prophets when they would offer their service to God elsewhere Paul makes it clear that he is a slave of Christ it's the idea of your whole life lived in focus on God it is knowing that God is your master and that you are his servant it is saying that all that you are and all that you do and everything about you is offered to God as a sacrifice like we read about Romans when it says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable or your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God every single Christian is to view themselves as a servant of the Lord It's not just for the pastor or the missionary. Every Christian is a servant and we we are to always be ready to serve. We are on active duty ready to serve God. Every 
contact that you and I have is an opportunity for us to represent Jesus Christ. As we go through our day, our attitude should be one of praise to God. We should be looking to give God thanks and to proclaim His name wherever you are, whatever you're doing. When you're going through your day, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You understand that when we look at ourselves as a servant of the Lord, we take great encouragement in the storms of life because the Lord cares for His servants. Because we are doing His business. We are carrying out His will. The Lord looks after His workers. Have you ever worked for a company and felt that you didn't matter for that company? You never have to worry about that with the Lord. He cares for you. And He's always watching over you. He's always taking care of you. You are His servant. Know God is your master. And we are His servants. Next, focus on God's promises. Focus on God's promises. You know, it's easy to neglect or to get discouraged when you neglect the promises of God. Paul tells the men that the angel reminded him that he must stand before Caesar. That's just a reminder of the promise that the Lord had already given him. Now what's interesting is when it says you must stand before Caesar, it means this, to be necessary, to be unavoidably determined by prior circumstances, sometimes understood with Contingency. So when God says you must go, you must stand before Caesar, take it to the bank. It says that it's, it's as if it's already happened because he is always faithful in what he promises. He never breaks a promise in times of great trouble. It's easy for us to focus on the problem that we are faced with instead of the promise of God. We get anxious and we get frustrated sometimes and we give into the problem and we give into thinking about the problem instead of remembering the promise of God. And we go into a panic all because we focus on the problem. Church, I'm not, I'm not talking about some sort of name it and claim it gospel where we just pull some verse out of context and, and we claim that and we're like, oh, I'm claiming this over that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm speaking of the fact that we forget altogether God's promises. We forget He has promised to guide us in truth and that He has promised to care for His children and that He has promised to be with us. And we forget that He's promised that nothing will stand against the church. A preacher named Tom Long says that while while he was at Princeton, he went to a nearby Presbyterian church that prided itself on being academic, intellectual church. Early on, Tom went to a family night supper and sat down next to a man he didn't know. And Tom introduced himself and told him he was new and asked, have you been here long? Oh, yes, the man said. In fact, I was here before this became such a scholarly church. Why, I'm probably the only non-intellectual left here. I haven't understood a sermon in over 25 years. Then why do you keep coming, Tom asked. Because every Monday night a group of us get into the church van. We drive over to the Youth Correctional Center. Sometimes we play basketball or play games. Usually we share a Bible story. But mostly we just get to know these kids and listen to them. I start going because Christians are supposed to do those kind of things. 
But now I could never stop. Sharing the love of God at that youth center has changed my life. And then he said this profound statement. You cannot prove the promises of God in advance. But if you live them, they're true. Every one. Church, we're in the storms of life. Whatever the storm may be, must focus on God's promise and not the problem. Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, there they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Remember the promises of God that He is always with you. Remember his promises. Next, no God is a prayer answering God. No God is a prayer answering God. Look at verse 24. The angel of God said to Paul, God has granted you all that sail with you. That word granted is to give graciously, to give something as a sign of one's beneficent goodwill towards someone. Now, what do you what do you uh, grant to someone when you give someone something? It's usually you grant them something because they've made a request to you. The original language here actually suggests a granting in response to prayer for the safekeeping of all. The implication is that Paul has been asking for deliverance on behalf of the whole ship's company. God could just say Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus and let everyone else drown or die. However, in his grace, he grants to Paul the lives of everyone on board the ship. The lives were protected because of the presence of Paul. I wonder how often the prayers of God's people protect others. The scriptures do not say that, that how many of these people on the ship came to saving faith in Christ. We don't know that. But I wonder how many eventually did. God is a prayer answering God. This is not to say that we somehow get to manipulate God, uh, that, that He has to do whatever we say, and that, that he, he doesn't have His own will. Prayer for the Christian is not optional. It's not optional. We make it optional, but it's not optional. It's a command. We don't pray to change God's mind. You don't pray to, that, that somehow God is going to change His mind of what He was going to do. And then He's going to change His mind to do it. But I'm going to tell you this church, prayer does change things. I love what R.C. Sproul says. The mind of God does not change for God does not change. Things change. And they change according to His sovereign will which He exercises through secondary means and secondary activities the prayer of his people is one of the means that he uses to bring things to pass in this world and so if you ask me whether prayer changes things i answer with an unhesitating yes prayer changes things church when you are going through a storm it's okay to pray that god would deliver you 
But also pray that God will help you witness to others who have contact with you in the midst of that storm. He could be taking you through a storm for the very purpose of bringing others to Christ. God is a prayer answering God. So be encouraged and cry out to Him in prayer. Lastly, trust in God. Trust in God. In verse 25, Paul says to take heart, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I've been told. We can talk about the promises of God all day long. We can dive deep into the Greek or Hebrew words and see what they are when it speaks of the promises of God. You can study the promises of God and say, oh, look at all these promises of God. You can have all your friends over to your house and do a small group study on the promises of God. And I could come in and you could say, hey, look, we're having a small group study on the promises of God. But you know what? It will do you no good if you don't trust in God. We must trust that God's will and that God will do as he says, in spite of our circumstances. Paul said, I have faith. Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It was by faith that the men and women listed in Hebrews saw God do mighty things. When you are in the midst of a storm, when you think all hope is lost, take courage. Trust in God. Trust the one who spoke to the storm and the wind on the sea and it instantly obeyed him. Trust in God. Trust in God even when things are wrong or feel wrong, even when it hurts, even in the pain, even in the sacrifice, even when you think, man, all hope is lost. Trust in God. And so I say to you, receive God's encouragement in the storms of life. But not only do you receive God's encouragement, but we are to encourage others to see God in the storm. Encourage others. So now that we know encouragement, what are we to do? Are we supposed to run around as Christians never encouraging anybody else? No. We encourage others to see God in a storm. When you hit your finger with a hammer, what do you do? Well, Maybe you shouldn't answer that, actually. But uh, (laughs) most of us give our attention to that finger. It's the same way in a storm. When we are going through a rough patch, the tendency is to be self-absorbed and to focus on our problem and forget about anyone else. Do they they know what I'm going through here? I mean, I'm, I'm in the midst of a storm of life. Paul didn't do that. He did not keep his encouragement. He received it from the Lord and he gave it to other people. Nor did he only share with his believing friends. Instead, he shared it with everyone on that ship and then he repeatedly encouraged them to take courage on the basis of the promise of God's deliverance. So who knows all the men on this ship? Some of them perhaps were headed to Rome to die. They needed Christ. They were pagans. If they made it through the storm without Paul's testimony, they certainly would have said, well, we sure were lucky. 
However, Paul wanted it to be clear that luck had nothing to do with it. It was the living God who delivered them from the storm. I'm going to be as brief as possible here because I know I've already spent a long time, but notice how we encourage others in the storm. How is it that we as Christians can encourage other people when they walk through the storms of life. And, and church, I really feel this is important because a lot of times I think Christians don't know how to encourage someone else as they're walking through the storm. We say kind of dumb stuff, right? We say things that we probably shouldn't say in the first place. Or, well, maybe there's some sin in your life. I, I don't know, just really weird stuff. So how do we encourage other people? First of all, you encourage others by being present. By being present. It's kind of hard to bring encouragement if you're not present. Luke and Aristarchus are with Paul, and apparently they even go with him in prison in Rome. We do not have any recorded words from Luke or Aristarchus, but no doubt they often encourage Paul in this storm. What we do know is that they are present, and their presence alone is a source of encouragement. Have you ever said this? I don't want to visit that person because I don't know what I would say. Have you ever said that? Maybe you've thought it. I don't, I don't want to go visit them. They're in the hospital. I don't, want to, I don't know what I'd say. Or, or they just lost a loved one. I don't know what I would say. Or they're going through something terrible in their life. I don't know what I would say. And we use that as an excuse not to visit other believers that need our visit. Don't worry about what you'll say. Just go and be there. Don't say anything. If you're afraid you're going to say something really dumb, then just don't say anything. Just go and show up. Just sit with them. Job's friends were great when they were with him until they opened their mouths. And then it wasn't so great. You want to encourage someone in the midst of the storm? Be present. You don't have to say much of anything. Maybe you just go over and you just sit with them. Or maybe you just go help them around their house. You just be present. You just show up and you just be there. And, and just your presence. Just being with them. There have been times in my life where I just needed a friend. They didn't have to say anything. I didn't need dumb comments. I didn't need backhanded you know, compliments. I didn't need passive-aggressive personality. I just needed them. That's it. Just give your presence. Secondly, how can you encourage? You pray for them. Sometimes we're real guilty of saying, I'll pray for you, brother. And we don't do it. You got my prayers. That's, that's another one of those social media things, right? Somebody puts they're going through something. Praying for you, and then there's like 5,000 comments of people that are supposedly praying for this person. Sometimes, well, are these people really praying? Paul had advised these people not to continue on the voyage, and then they went anyway. He told them, don't go. And he could have got all hurt and thought, well, they didn't listen to me. I'm not going to pray for them. I'm not going to do anything. These guys are a bunch of goofballs. I told them not to go. Instead, Paul prayed that they would all be delivered from the storm. I seriously doubt these men had high moral standards. Have you ever heard of the term cussing like a sailor? 
In fact, we read where, where the soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners just before the shipwreck so no one could escape. Scripture commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Sometimes we think people don't deserve God's grace. We think, well, they don't, they don't deserve God's grace. But I got news for you. Neither did you. But you got it anyway. None of us deserve it. That's the beauty of it. We don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. So pray for people as they are going through a storm. Most people, even unbelievers, will respond if you ask if you can pray for them. Find someone that's in a need and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Everyone has needs and most people let you pray for them by offering to pray. It may, it may open the door for the gospel. And if they are a fellow Christian going through a storm, it's going to encourage them to know that you are praying for them. You know, the deacons, we just gathered together and made some phone calls to people. And, and as I was calling this lady that, that visited us, I just said, hey, she started sharing some stuff with me. I said, hey, can I pray for you on the phone? She didn't know me. I don't even know her. I said, yeah, I'd like that. Pray for people. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Just do it. Don't tell them you're going to do it. Do it. Pray for them. Thirdly, how can you encourage? How can we encourage uh, our presence? Pray for them. Minister to their needs. How often do deeds go unmet when we have the ability to meet them? In verse 34, Paul urges them to eat, for it will strengthen them. In verse 35, he gives thanks in front of all of them, and then he eats. Can you imagine if Paul just got up and grabbed some food and started eating it and ignored everyone else? He's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat. He just grabs, you know, a whatever and starts eating. That seems crazy. You think, well, that would be insane. Why would somebody do that? But how often do we do the very same thing? We see a need that we can practically meet and we ignore it. Or we pretend like we don't see it. We do that a lot too. We say, oh, well, I didn't know. When we did know, Right? So that presents a double problem. Now you just lied about it. You knew it was there. And you knew you could meet it. And you didn't meet it. Minister to the needs of the people. These men eating was, was practical. It's, this isn't some sort of, you know, we don't need to read something spiritual into this. They just ate some food. It was a practical need. They needed to eat. And yet, they were encouraged by it. Verse 36 tells us that they were encouraged. Sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do for someone in a storm is just meet their need. Sometimes that's taking them a meal. Maybe, maybe even uh, uh, going and cleaning their house or something. Maybe they've been sick and they haven't eaten. Or maybe, maybe uh, they've not been able to prepare meals. And so you just go take them a meal. Sometimes you just go over and you just, you just clean. You can come clean my house anytime. Oh, but anyway, um, they, they need it. Maybe you just go grocery shopping for them. You know what we do as Christians? We do this a lot, and I'm guilty of this. I've done this very same thing. 
This is what we do as Christians. Well, if you need anything, complete the sentence. Well, if you need anything, what do we say? Let me know, right? That's what we say. Now, how many times have you said that and you get a phone call? Well, you said if I need anything, let you know. It doesn't happen, does it? I mean, there may be a few people that do that, but no one lets us know. Rarely do people ask for help. Listen, put yourself in their shoes. Pretend like you're them. You've been sick. Or pretend like you just lost your job. Or pretend like your car just broke down and you have no idea how you're going to pay for it. Or pretend like something's going on and you're trying to manage, you're a single mom and you're trying to manage all these kids in your life and, and, and you're just going through a hard time and you don't know how you're going to pay your water bill or you don't know where you're going to buy groceries. You think they're going to call you up? Would you call someone up and say, hey, you said whatever I need, I need, I need $200 to go buy groceries. Whatever it is they're going through, pretend like you're going through it and ask yourself, what would I want someone to do for me? Then do it. Don't ask to do it, just do it. If you know someone going through a situation, say, okay, what would I do? Let me put myself in that person's situation. What would I do? I'm a single mom and I don't know where, how I'm going to pay for this. Or what would I do? I'm, I'm the, I just got done with cancer treatments what would I do or or I just lost a loved one how would I respond what would I need in that situation don't ask just do it don't say hey call me if you need anything just go and meet the need and don't wait for them to ask you to do it if you would want it done for you then do it for someone else because that's how you minister to people's needs church you just go and do it you know, and I just heard a story. My wife just told me a story that someone left a church because someone brought them a meal. You know what? If someone leaves our church because you bring them a meal, then oh well. That's what I say about that. Okay? If they get all mad because you took them a meal and they're like, I'm out of here. Okay. You've done the right thing. I'm okay with it. You just come to me and say, Pastor, it's my fault. Okay. I'll be all right with that. Minister to people's needs. I'm okay with people getting mad because we're ministering to their needs. I'm fine with that. Minister to their needs. Set an appropriate example. More testimonies get destroyed by being a bad example. Paul's in the same boat as a bunch of pagans who could care less about anything godly. I'm sure he got seasick just like they got seasick. They, they had been discouraged and he probably was discouraged and fearful just like, just like they were. He went through the same things. They were, however, uh, when, he, when he received the encouragement from the Lord, he didn't just keep it to himself. He opened and shared it with others to encourage them. Before he ate, he gave thanks in front of everyone, setting an example. He did not do the, oh, rub your eyebrows prayer. You ever done that one? Rub your eyebrows. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. Or, oh, I got a headache. Thank you for the food, Lord. Amen. Right? That's not what Paul did. Others were encouraged to follow and eat as he 
Hey, he stood up in front of everyone. Listen, people are watching you, whether you realize it or not, and you're setting an example, especially if your parents, our kids follow our example. If we are always in a panic, falling apart in the storms of life, failing to trust in God, guess what they will do when, when, when uh, the storms of life come? They're going to learn to be afraid and go into a panic. And when they are faced with a storm, they're going to fall apart just like we fall apart. If we trust in God, they will learn to trust in God. So set an appropriate example for not only other believers, but for the pagan who is who is there looking in at you. They're on the outside and they're looking in and they're saying, how is this Christian going to respond to this situation in their life? Let's see how great their God is now. Set an appropriate example. Lastly, the last way you can encourage others is speak of God's power to save. Speak of God's power to save. Church, the self-help gospel is so prevalent in churches right now. The idea of positive thinking and you just need to, you just need to change your attitude and God's going to do great things. You just, you just got to change your frame of mind and everything will change. Paul didn't just tell these people about the power of positive thinking. He told them that he believed God and the promise of deliverance that God had given him. Listen, there are people that are just positive people. That is who they are. They, they always believe uh, everything is going to turn out okay. That's just the kind of person they are. They, just like uh, something comes their way, oh, it'll be okay. They're the, the glass is half full kind of people. They're just optimistic people. I've met people like that. They're always optimistic. They're always thinking something good's going to happen. However, if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, everything is not going to turn out okay. Scripture is clear that those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will be saved. It's not enough just to encourage people in a storm by saying things like, well, it'll all be okay. It's not enough, church, especially to a lost person. That does them no good. Well, it'll all be okay. Or I'm sure everything's going to turn out just fine. We have to tell them about the power of God to save. We must tell them about their sin and their situation and that it's hopeless apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone doesn't know Christ, their total situation is a hopeless one. So speak to God's power to save. Let me conclude with this. John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace after God saved him from a life, as he says, of being a wretch. On the high seas for 13 years and then becoming a pastor who faithfully loved two flocks for 43 years and only in London, England. John Newton would eventually become a warrior against despair in other people's lives. He had been so hopeless and so beyond recovery in his sin that his own salvation constantly amazed him. If anyone should have despaired, it was John Newton, but God saved him on March 21st, 1748. Storm at sea weakened him from his foolishness. And from that night at age 23 to the year he died at age 82, he marked the day of his awakening on board the Greyhound fasting and prayer and thankful rededication of his life to Jesus. As an old man, he wrote the 21st in March is a day much to be remembered by me. 
and I have never suffered it to pass wholly unnoticed since the year 1748. On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of the deep waters. Newton's amazing rescue from utter wretchedness and hardness of heart and blaspheming ways made him a rescuer of the hopeless people all the rest of his life to the point that a former slave trader would become an abolitionist of slavery. His first biographer and friend Richard Cecil closes his memoir of Newton by pleading with young people to mark the error of despair. We should see that the case of a praying man cannot be desperate, that if a man be out of the pit of hell, he is on the ground of mercy. He should recollect that God, or recollect that God sees a way of escape when we see no way of escape, that nothing is too hard for him, that he warrants our dependence and invites us to call on him in the day of our trouble and gives a promise of deliverance. Take courage, church. God can use the storm to reveal more of Christ to Paul or to bring men on that ship to Jesus Christ, then it is all worth it. And I submit to you that he does the same today. That God encourages you in the storm. And in the storm, he reveals more of himself to you. And he uses that storm to bring others to Christ and encourage fellow Christians. And I submit to you that all the pain, all the suffering, all the heartache, everything that you walk through in the midst of that storm, I submit to you, it is worth it. Every last bit of it. It's all worth it. So that he might have the glory. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. Maybe this morning,